Thank you for listening to Desert Spring United Methodist Sunday Sermon. We're glad you found us and that you chose to be part of our church. Online listeners, you are a significant part of our church community, and we're grateful you're with us. We hope you enjoy the sermon you're about to hear. If you would like to engage with our staff, we can be found on Facebook, Vimeo, and Instagram. Or call us at 702-256-5933. This morning we continue in this series of sermons when Christians get it wrong. Let's have a word of prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Ellen was a good Christian woman. At age 39, she was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And by age 40, she had passed away. During that year of her illness, I was blessed to spend quite a bit of time with her visiting. And we talked much about matters of faith. And she touched me deeply as I heard her talk about her faith in the face of imminent death. Though I only knew her for a short time, I'm grateful for that, that time. During that time, I also tried to care for her husband, David. But David would have nothing to do with me. It's not that he didn't like me. It's that he didn't like who I represented. He didn't want to have anything to do with God. See, David was struggling with what was happening to his wife, Ellen. He knew that she loved God, and he figured if God loved her, then God would want to do something to help her. But nothing came, and so he finally concluded that either there is no God, or if there is a God, God simply doesn't care, neither of which gave him any reason to have any interest at all in God. Well, fast forward a couple of years, and David was coaching a middle school basketball team, and word got out that he needed help, so I quickly volunteered. And at that point, he accepted my help. And spending time together, little by little, he began to trust in me. And he finally got to a point where he was able to speak a few words to me, just a few, only a few. But I could tell how deeply he missed Ellen. But he also made it clear he still had no interest in God. It was then that I found out that two of Ellen's friends, good Christian women, had met with David shortly after Ellen's death and had told him that everything happens for a reason, that Ellen's death was a part of God's plan. And we know why they spoke those words. (laughs) We know why. They spoke those words, trying to comfort David, and it's what we say when we don't know what else to say. But those words did not bring comfort to him. They just secured in his mind his decision to have no interest in God. Now, David isn't the only person who shared this concern about how it is that Christians respond to suffering. In the surveys done with young adults who've left the church, this very issue was one of the five biggest issues they have with Christianity. This belief that everything happens for a reason and that there's some all-encompassing plan for our lives. Out of those surveys, 
There was a young man who was interviewed, who was a soldier, who witnessed two of his friends killed in a bombing in Afghanistan. And he wrote, or he spoke these words. You Christians want me to love and trust God, and yet you tell me that everything happens for a reason. So when my friends were killed, it was because it was God's will. And you want me to trust a God who killed my friends. And one of the realities of Christian faith is there's a whole lot of bad theology that is spoken by good God-living people trying to do the right thing and inadvertently setting up roadblocks to people being interested in coming to the faith. And, I mean, why would somebody come to a God who's hurt their loved one? But does everything happen for a reason? I mean, there are a lot of things that happen for a reason. God is involved in our lives in very real ways. Our God is not some distant God who's uninvolved and uncaring. Our God is involved in our lives in very real and personal ways. And so there's a lot of things that happen in our lives for which there is a reason. There are things that happen in our lives that are part of an unfolding plan of God. We know that to be true. But does everything originate with God? Everything? Last Sunday morning, early in the morning, I, I burned my hand. Boiling water got poured over my hand. And that hurt. That hurt badly. Some of you remember. I couldn't shake hands on Sunday. It's, by the way, it's getting better. Okay. But was that, I mean, did that happen for a reason? Was that part of God's plan for my life? Or was it just one of those moments, you know, those moments when I did something stupid and the result was that I got hurt? When we read through the Bible with this question in our mind, you know, about God's involvement in our lives and in suffering, it doesn't take as long to begin to see that the Bible is full of stories of people doing things that are contrary to the will of God. I mean, we call that sin. People doing things that are contrary to the will of God. That's, that's a very real reason why Jesus was sent into this world, because we can make a mess of things, and we can bring about brokenness, and we can bring about suffering, we can even bring about death. But Jesus was brought into this world to bring about life. As human beings... We are perfectly capable of doing things that bring about suffering in this world. And not everything that happens originates with God. Now this is part of what the book of Job is, is all about, wrestling with this very question of God's involvement in the blessings and in, and in the pain and suffering of life. The book of Job is responding to some bad theology. It was the common belief of the day. And the belief goes something like this. If good things are happening in your life, it's because God is giving you those good things. If bad things are happening in your life, it's because God is giving you bad things. If you do good, you're going to get good. If you do bad, you're going to get bad. So do good and you'll get good, and do bad and you'll get bad. 
You get what you deserve. And Job argued against this. He argued against it because it did not match up with his experience. He was a good man who suffered greatly and did nothing to warrant the kind of suffering that he had to endure. So, does everything happen for a reason? Is all the things that unfold in our lives just a part of some great plan for which we have little involvement, really? We're going to pause and we're going to listen to Scripture for a moment. The Scripture you're going to read is from the, or you're going to hear is from the middle of the book of Job. Job's friends have been telling him this bad theology. And they've been persistent in telling him that the reason he's suffering is because God is punishing him for something he has done. And Job finally gets fed up with it. And this is what he says to his friends. Bill, will you read for us? Scripture comes from Job 16, 1 to 5. Then Job answered, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Have windy words no limit? Or what provokes you that you keep on talking? I also could talk as you do if you were in my place. I could join words together against you and shake my head at you. I could encourage you with my mouth, and the solace of my lips would assuage your pain. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I love the book of Job, although it is tragic and it is complicated. It's also very important and quite profound. Job had it all. He had a great family. He had wealth. He had health. He was a man of deep and abiding faith who sought to live his life according to the will of God. He was such a good man that God said of Job, no better man has ever lived than Job. But life happens. And Job loses almost everything. He loses his family. He loses his wealth. He loses his health. And it gets to the point, it gets so bad for him that he just wishes he were dead. Some of his friends heard about what was happening with Job, and so they went to be with him. And when they saw him, they did not recognize him. Job's body covered with boils. They did not recognize him. And when they realized it was Job, they were so overcome with grief that they could not speak. For seven days, they sat in silence with Job. And at this point in the story, it seems like his friends are getting something right. Just being there with him in silence, listening to his story and to his cries to God. I mean, sometimes there is nothing better than we can do than to simply be present and to listen and to care for a person. Sometimes we do well to be slow on explanations, to be quick on listening and on love. Well, Job just kept crying out to God. Why is this happening to me? And after seven days, his friends, they couldn't keep quiet any longer. 
And so they had to tell him why it was happening to him. And so they explained it to him. You've done something that got God mad, and so now you're being punished. That's what they said. And Job disagreed with them, said, you got it wrong. That's not what this is about. But they were persistent in their argument. They kept coming at him over and over and over again for 30 chapters in the book of, of Job. His friends are coming at him, telling him, it's your fault. You did something. God is punishing you. And meanwhile, Job argues against them until he finally gets fed up with them. And you heard his words to them then when he got fed up with them. You know, with friends like you, who needs enemies? You're just adding insult to injury. If you were in my situation, I wouldn't treat you the way you're treating me. I'd have some compassion. I'd try to encourage you a little bit. But no, his friends just continue to be insistent on pushing their bad theology that everything originates with God. And it's because of God that this is happening to him. Job continued to cry out. Until near the end of the book, God finally answers. And when God answers, we begin to realize that God was allowing Job's suffering. God was allowing Job's suffering. But allowing suffering and causing suffering are two different things. Allowing suffering and causing suffering are two different things. When we read through the Bible with this question of suffering on our mind, we hear many, many different reasons, many different causes for suffering. Sometimes we suffer because we're our own worst enemy and we bring it upon ourselves. Sometimes we suffer because of the sinfulness of other people and we become the victim and hurt because of what they have done. Sometimes we suffer because we're mortal human beings and these bodies of ours are going to break down. In fact, they must break down if ever we're to cast off what is mortal to put on what is immortal. Sometimes we suffer. Sometimes we suffer because it's redemptive. It can bring something good to somebody else's life. And sometimes we suffer because of the convicting grace of God trying to break through to us to bring changes to our lives. The Bible's full of reasons why we suffer. And the book of Job adds one. Sometimes there is no answer that we can understand. Sometimes it's just a mystery. There's much in life that is a mystery. Where were you, God says to Job, when I created this world? Where were you when I wove into creation what would sustain life? What makes you think you can understand? There are some things in life that are just a mystery. And some of the suffering that we encounter, sometimes there is no answer as to why. So we fall silent and simply choose to trust in the goodness of God. But even in the face of, of all of the mystery that is life, as Christians, there are some things that we know for certain. So here's four of the things that we know for certain. The first thing is that we know that God cares about us. God cares about us. Remember the story of, 
uh, two stories of Jesus in the Gospels. We look to Jesus as the clearest revelation of who God is. And so we learn about God by looking at Jesus. And two different stories, Jesus starts to weep. He weeps over the condition of Jerusalem and the, the suffering that people are causing. He weeps at the entrance to the tomb of Lazarus, his friend who has died. We know that God cares for us and that God wants to, to help us in those times that are most difficult in life. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. God wants to bring comfort and God wants to bring healing to our lives in the midst of the struggles. We know that to be true. We also know, we also know that there is no condition in life, there is no struggle that we would go through beyond God's ability to redeem. No struggle, no condition, no suffering beyond God's ability to bring forth something good. Not that the suffering is worth it, but something good comes nonetheless. I've got lots of stories of that. Ellen's suffering wasn't worth it, but I learned much from being with her. Something good came. My grandmother's suffering wasn't worth it, but in her dying, she taught me how to be a pastor. Something good came of it. Bertie Williams' suffering was not worth it, but she touched the lives of all of her caregivers, bringing them to faith. Something good came of it. God is capable of bringing something good even out of the worst of conditions. We know that to be true. We also know that God gets the final word when it comes to our lives. God gets the final word. There may be times where it feels as though the conditions of life and the suffering of life is winning out and it's going to get the final word, but God always gets the final word. Lazarus laying in a tomb when Jesus speaks, come out. God gets the final word. Jesus hanging on a cross, a thief beside him. Jesus says to him, today you'll be in, with me in paradise. God gets the final word. And even Jesus, after dying and being laid in a tomb, and it appears as though the violence of this world has won, God spoke and there is resurrection. God gets the final word. St. Paul on his way to Damascus in order to bring Christians to death. And God speaks and there's transformation in his life. Later in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, St. Paul says the day will come when the trumpet will sound, when God will speak and we will cast off what is mortal to put on what is immortal. God gets the final word. The worst thing that we might be experiencing in life is not the last thing we will experience in life because God will get the final word. We know that to be true as well. And finally, we know that God invites us to speak words of comfort and healing in the lives of people around us. At the end of the book of Job, Job's friends have gotten it wrong and they brought insult to injury to Job, made his pain all the greater. And if his friends would have been right, that would have been reason enough for God to punish them, but God did not punish them. Instead, God spoke to Job 
And God said to Job, Job, if you forgive your friends, I will forgive your friends. And so Job was given the opportunity to speak words of healing. And we're invited to speak words of healing and of comfort in the midst of the circumstances of people's lives around us. What might those words have been for David? Maybe just, I'm here. What might those words be for those young adults who are concerned that their perception is that the church is quick to answer and, and explains things away? That God cares? That God brings comfort? That God gets the last word? Or maybe it's simpler than that. Maybe it's to be slow to try to explain and quick to listen, to love, to seek to be the very presence of Christ in the midst of the real and difficult situations of people's lives. There's much in life that is a mystery. We do well to recognize and admit that. There's much in life that is a mystery. There's lots of questions we cannot answer. But this we know we can do. We can love as Christ has loved us. Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Desert Spring United Methodist Church. New sermons are posted weekly. Follow us to get updates and news from your church.